You're listening to the Property Pal podcast. In this episode, Errol sits down with special guest James Hagen, chair and founder of Northern Ireland's largest home builder, Hagen Homes. In light of recent news that Hagen Homes has pulled out of Northern Ireland, we welcome James to discuss what planning implications led to this huge decision. As always, we love to hear from our listeners, so check out the links in the description and connect with us. To make sure you don't miss an episode, click on the follow button. Now it's over to Errol and special guest, James Hagen. Welcome everybody, this is episode two of the Property Pal podcast. I'm Errol, the managing director of Property Pal. My co-host already has decided to leave me. He has some excuse, apparently, about getting married in Italy to Steph tomorrow. Best of luck with that, if that's true. But anyway, I've got a very interesting guest, so I don't think I needed Jordan's help at all today. I have James Hagen from Hagen Homes. Hello, James. Hello there. How are you? I'm, I'm very pleased to be here and thank you very much for asking me along. My pleasure, my pleasure. We've been speaking a lot since before we even came on to the podcast, so I know already this is going to be very interesting today. But just for any of the listeners that uh, don't know much about yourself or the company, do you just want to give us a brief background of the company itself? Hagen Homes was started originally as Hagen and Simpson Developments with my brother-in-law um, over 30 years ago. He went out on his own in 1996. We've been building the company up since then I have a people who are still with me now who have been with me on day one and we don't have a big turnover of staff we've had a lot of interesting times the highs and the lows but uh, we're still here it's actually this is probably one of the most interesting times I've heard about from your company in a long time hence the reason why we wanted to invite you in because of the statement you made maybe two weeks ago now where you were basically saying that Hagen Homes have all but pulled out of doing any more new homes in Northern Ireland Yes, we just decided that about a month ago. And I suppose it's an age thing too, that I've got to the stage in life, I do not suffer fools gladly. And I I don't think you ever did. Well, (laughs) I can't bite my lip. And the problem with a lot of developers, and I'm not running the other developers down, they have exactly the same problem as myself, but they're not prepared to stand up. And I understand why, because if Mm. you stand up, you're stuck to the bottom of the pile again. They do even less for you. And I said, we've had enough. Just pull out. We'll go to England. We've made a lot of inquiries about England and down south and um, more than north of England for a county London as a separate country. Okay. So what do you mean by you've had enough? Enough of what? What has been the problems that have been grinding your gears? The problems have mainly been the planning system and all the statutory consultees to go along with that. In England, there there's doing everything to help us. The approach here is they stick up more obstacles than enough and they look at, look at ways of stopping us not helping us this has changed in the last 10 years it's got really bad it used to be we could talk to the planners we ring up leave a message they have 48 hours to get back to us mm-hmm. now, to run a business for somebody to talk to you on the phone you shouldn't have 48 hours to get back to us and a lot of the time they don't even get back to us and that's just a very simple thing. And this COVID thing is, oh, we're in COVID, we haven't got it done. And I have said to him, oh, does that mean because you're working from home, you can't work as hard? Why are you not working as hard? And it's just an absolute nightmare. And people don't seem to be answerable to anybody. And you would definitely be able to say with some certainty that it's not just you, it's other developers too, but they're just a little bit more frightened to say anything in case they get put to the bottom of the pile. 
Yeah, and uh, they make a, you put on a site for 40 houses and somebody says, oh, well, he was complaining about me. We'll only give him 35. And I've said... I'm taking no more of it. I'm, the, the staff in my office, they are just... I've had so many phone calls since that came out. We've had phone calls within 48 hours of it coming out in the newspaper from five different statutory consultees to try and answer questions that we've been trying to get answers for six months. No, isn't that funny? Isn't that very funny? Is that just a coincidence? No way. Would it give you any heart to maybe say that maybe by shouting about it that maybe something will be done hence the reason why we brought you on the broadcast today because we want to see whether or not this is going to make it be highlighted to anybody of importance that's going to maybe try and say why is it like this here whenever in in england if you make a phone call to somebody about planning um you maybe have to leave a voicemail but they'll certainly get back to you within a couple of hours planning in england is run like a business here it's run like a corner shop and mm -hmm. it's absolutely, I hope it does do something. We've been talking to MLAs and they've been very helpful. And because we've given them evidence of what things that we've had happen and people not getting back to us and planning going on for four years, certain people are saying to us, well, then I have evidence, let me go and follow this up. So you believe that the MLAs know there's a problem? Oh, most definitely. Okay, that's very And I think with what I came out with last week, it's made them realise this is a, is a big problem. And they're shouting from the rooftops with planners for other developers, I must admit. But it just seems to be getting nowhere. Nobody seems to care or, oh, I don't know. So do you think you would stay if it got better? Oh, you, could you see it getting better if maybe... <sighs> Things could turn around in the next year or two because at the end of the day, uh, you're one of the biggest developers over here. I'm sure there'll be other developers rubbing their hands with glee that you're uh, saying some things like you're maybe leaving, giving them more of a, a market. <laughs> no, I think they're all fed up too. I've had quite a few phone calls from other developers thanking me for doing it. But I feel that if they could get it sorted, we would look at it again. But I don't think anything would be sorted out within a year. And until they get their system sorted out, like NIW, we have to put in to see if we can get uh, sewage on the site. Yes. They have to come back to us within 65 working days. Working days. Scotland Water Authority have to come back in five days. And we get one back in 65 days. On the 65th day, we got a reply. And they said, we've done all our investigation into it. It now has to go to NIEA and they have another 65 days. So NIEA have to clear it, but they have 65 days. Who brings in? It's like me saying to you, by the way, you start the job and you're at 8 o'clock in the morning. By the way, if you don't want to come in to 12 o'clock, that's all. What I find astonishing about this is that there's not enough homes being built in Northern Ireland. And you would expect that everybody would try to roll up their sleeves to make sure that this can happen. It sounds like, to me, that they're just slowing the entire process down to the bare minimum that they can get away with. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Laziness it is. A lot of it is laziness. People not doing their job. There's an assumption here that we are in favour of development which it should be, and there is a shortage of houses. Mm -hmm. People not doing their job. We have the hold of people. And then you go and you get 95% cleared on a site. And then they come back to you and say, by the way, we don't really like the outside of the building. Could you put another application in? And the thing about putting another application in is 
that the old application has wiped off the slates. Com- completely. Yeah. You put a new one in, and that means there isn't a big waiting list to get planning through. Right. And it's I just, it's frustrating, and it's frustrating for my staff as well, because they spend more time ringing and ringing trying to get answers, and it's a nightmare. Since planning's become a devolved matter, and it's with the councils, have you seen it getting any better, or is it getting worse, or is it just the same as it always was? Some councils are a lot better than others. Belfast and Coleraine are the worst. Two worst planning departments of getting anything through. I would, we decided six months ago not to buy anything in the Coleraine area at all. Wow. And I know two other developers who have the same attitude. They are an absolute nightmare. And is there any that are going to be praised with you today in terms of this? There's councillors, and I'm not naming names, around, who are very helpful to us. And there's planners who are very good, who ring us back. And you go in to see them. Years ago, we used to go in and see a, a planner. What's wrong with it? Well, don't like that. And there's four houses. Take four houses off it. Nowadays, no, we don't like it. What do you want? We'll put in another application. I see. Where before it was a bit more proactive toing and throwing, yeah. where now it's just no a process. Uh-huh. Right. Total process where they don't give you any guidance. They used to say, drop two houses and open it up a wee bit. They don't even do that anymore. Uh, Has it become that way because they just want the job to be done in the right form of paperwork? They don't want to be involved in it themselves. They don't want to say anything that's their opinion. Are they scared? I think a lot of them are, and they're not allowed to make mistakes. I tell my staff if they stop making mistakes, I don't want them working for me because you have to learn. In terms of even getting things built at the moment inside the house or for the houses and getting these other structures which are going to have different components, etc. Are you finding it difficult to get this stuff now under the B word for Brexit or uh, the C word for coronavirus? Is there? Have I, think you... every, I think everybody uses all these things as, as excuses. What about, for example, the likes of... Uh, the price of timber going up, etc. That has nothing to do with Brexit, and that's to got, got to do with well, the American market. There's so many fires, and it has gone up a lot. It will fall back, I think, a bit. But uh, we'll find a bit of shortages, but I haven't stopped us building houses. Like, we, we do 150 a year. We should be doing 250, 300. It's the plan, is that we can't get onto the sites. It's the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, it is getting more difficult to get land. A lot of people have gone to Dublin's and fired on it. I don't know where that's going to end up, but it's a problem getting land. Some materials have gone up, but it is what it is, and you just get on with it. Mm-hmm. What about where you stand with the water services, for example, and the restrictions that are being placed on the fact that the water service themselves are saying that they do not have enough money to cope with the demand of what's being requested of them from developers? The Water Authority, as far as I'm concerned, are supposed to supply sewers and water to new developments. And that's, I believe, that is legislation. They're common and they're charging us now for it. And I don't believe it's correct at all. We've cancelled two sites in Donegal Road because we can't get sewers on the sites for two years. And we're having to pay £1,500 a time for them to do a survey to see if they have capacity to let more houses into the sewage system. Why are we paying £1,500 for them to do a survey that they should be doing anyway? And they're just like 65 days to get an answer back. I just, NIW are just a nightmare to deal with. Because of that, I could be put down at the bottom of the list, but I can't be put down any further than what they're putting in. Which is why you're not afraid to speak up today. 
No. Okay. When it comes to solving the problems that you mentioned at the start of the podcast today, who do you think can solve it? Is it the MLAs? Is it the people on the hill? Is it the civil servants maybe starting to realise that, look, this is not how it's done in England or Scotland or Wales. We're doing something terribly wrong here. We need to try and get more efficient. Who do you feel can help? I feel all of us in life, no matter who you are, we all need to boot up the backside at times. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the MLAs by booting the civil servants up the backside. And I'm not running all of them down. No. So... What does a typical day in the life of James look like compared to 20 years ago or maybe even 10 years ago? I think the difference is I find it very hard of standing back and not getting involved in day to day. That's the biggest difficulty I've had. Are you saying you can do it now or? 75% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, and it works because you have to let people find their own way. And if you have the right staff and you're, you leave them to do a job, there may be one. A lot of decisions in life, which I think people don't realize is in business is a 50-50, whether you go right or left. And I, they would ask me about something and I'd say, I'll go right. And they say, no. And then they do it the other way. Mm -hmm. But my son, James, he used to say to me, he says, Dad, if you fell into a bucket of shit, you'd come out smelling the roof. And I said, James, you didn't know why that is. He says, no, Dad, why? I've fallen into so many buckets of shit over my lifetime I've learned not to fall into the same one again <laughs> and it's just the staff are very important and it's very important that you treat them as people mm -hmm. and don't look down at them and if you go on a site and you see somebody carrying something across the site because I was brought up on a farm I would go and help help them. and they just that's the way it should be you know, I was talking to you today and I'm sure you're the same in here mm -hmm. if somebody was brushing the floor and they did a hand or whatever mm -hmm. you'd, and I think that's very important Mm -hmm. And what keeps you driven? That's something I don't really know. Um, it's a work ethic that has been brought up on a farm, I think, has a lot to do with it. And you build things up from the ground and the business have built up and it's like another child. Mm -hmm. And I look on it that way. During the recession in 2007, I thought I was going to live in a tent. But it's just, it's like something you build up you would know this yourself there's some people don't understand unless they have a business it's not all about the making of the money it's mm. having the family and having the business and that sort of keeps me going that i've planned we have planned what to do in the next 10 years but i've also planned that the business will still be there in 30 years time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when you mentioned about it being a baby as soon as you said that the next question i was going to ask but you've nearly already answered it is are you ever going to sell it do you ever sell your own baby? No, I can't see me doing that. I can't see me doing that. And it's something that you're so attached to. You could sell sites off or whatever, as long as I can keep the team and think it depend on the team. And I think another thing that if it was what mum and dad have taught me, that, you know, I would do a lot now for charity. And that's a thing that has become important to me of giving back. That's why it breaks my heart moving out to Northern Ireland because I've done very well here. I owe it to the people here, but I just work with them. And the charity thing and regenerating, like we've built in some really down market areas, but people want to live in their own area and regenerating is a lot, gives me a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction. So another question I have for you, how did you get into the homes then? In 86, I was out with my brother in the caravans and we split up and I sold out to him and I didn't know what I was going to do. I, 
hardly genuinely did not know not a clue I started to buy I'd always been interested in cars and I started to buy uh, four wheel drive jeeps and sell them from home and Henry who's still with me he started with me then we you went and bought one you, you came into the kitchen and we signed the receipt in the kitchen and then I had a site for a house in Doha and we got a pass for two houses and then I thought we got a pass for 12 apartments and then I brought my brother-in-law Nigel he was a condi surveyor with Langs and I brought him in and that was how it's all started I still don't know an awful lot about building houses people laugh at me whenever I say that but I can look at houses and, and see the design it's, it's getting the design of a first-time buyer house we've always concentrated on first-time buyer yeah. and using up all the space mm -hmm. and getting them value for money because it's all down to price for first-time buyer and it's just gone from strength to strength yeah I have a great team and uh, as I say they're with me a long time and I had them out for lunch on, on Wednesday I've uh, been away and it's like a family <laughs> and you, whenever you go for lunch you talk about how's your mum how's your dad you know and this sort of thing and I think that's a lot to do with business that a lot of people have forgotten about absolutely do you think you got a lot of that from your parents did they impact you in any way about this both of them were a great influence what about your father then What is, was he a major insp inspiration yeah. in your life he was a real wheeler dealer and he was buying and selling everything he taught me how to wheel and deal and my mum taught me how to do brickwork counts and that's a thing my mum was a a character she had a corner shop at the back of the courthouse in Belfast whenever she was 19 her dad had bought her this shop just a corner shop and I said, Mum, how'd you learn about business? That was one of the biggest lessons I ever had. They were stealing off her and they were everything. And then they said, somebody in it. And then they bought the farm. But they were always doing something with pedigree pigs, with pedigree sheep. It was all pedigree. Because she took the attitude, my dad was a wheeler dealer. They took the attitude, it was as cheap to feed a pedigree one as it was an ordinary one. I think it's photographs of me having... Um, showing the pigs at the shows and all this but her father got her started in business uh -huh. he had he was he retired whenever he was 46 in 1946 wow and he had and he went to a farm 21 acres and become more or less self-sufficient I remember my granddad one of the big Rover cars and he had the Austin dealership the Morris dealership and the Ford dealership the taxi firm the petrol garage and the funeral undertakers in Ballyclare. Oh, my and word. He worked night and day. And he retired at 46 because he had two daughters, and daughters don't come into a business. And he lived till he was 94. But they don't go into the business, but he bought them. No, he bought, he put up the money to, for my mum to buy the shop, which maybe wasn't a lot of money then. It was just a wee corner shop. It was a house, and it was downstairs was the shop, and upstairs was a flat. And she had that whenever she was at Stranmullis. She was uh, training to be a teacher. And she was she had decided she was going to be the next Marks and Spencers. But it didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> James, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. And um, I'm hoping that we get some very interesting comments out of this. And I'm hoping that we maybe have other people, such as maybe MLAs and other people that we've mentioned in this podcast today, that will come on board to try and say what they can do to try and improve the situations here. But James, listen, uh, please don't be a stranger. And thank you so much for coming in today. It was a pleasure coming in and I would just like to say some of the MLAs are working and trying to sort this out since what happened a week ago or even before that and that some of them are finding it very difficult but I think improve 
but it's how quickly it will improve. And it's been a pleasure being here, and thank you very much for asking. Thanks, James. Take care.